All right, let's do it. Come on, guys. Come on. Good morning, Mission Morris. This is awesome. It's great to see. Okay, just look around. Look around at each other. Like you're sitting next to somebody, probably, and just or just look to the closest person and just say, "It's great to see you." Just now, if you're like totally isolated, like Steve here, just go. Good to see you too, Steve. Just tell yourself, that's fine. All right, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Acts. This is a departure from our series in Colossians that we've been going through. And uh, this is actually, what we're doing is uh, having the opportunity, we're having the opportunity to jump into a one-week thing. We usually do this in, uh, in October where we get a chance to remind our whole church, what we do as far as missions, because that's a big part. I mean, we're, mission, as Eric said, it's not just our name. It's a big deal to us as far as who we are and, and, and what we're doing. In fact, Mission Morris is Mission Morris because of the fact that we as Mission Church, you guys are part of our church, had this thing that, that God's goal is not just to get people to get into a building and see if we can have a bunch of building projects and get bigger and bigger, but we're always called to grow and then go. And you guys are growing in Morris. And God's, the, the cool thing is that that's not just our smart idea. It's something that we see in scripture. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, uh, this is a sequel. Uh, many, most of you guys know that, but, but if you don't, uh, it, this is a sequel. And usually sequels stink, but this is a sequel that doesn't. This is a sequel to the gospel of Luke. The author um, wanted to write a buddy of his named Theophilus and just kind of give him a, a play-by-play on the life of Jesus. And, and that was a real important thing to him because he, he said, look, there's a lot of people talking about Jesus, but a lot of people are getting it wrong. So I've investigated the eyewitnesses and I gather together all these eyewitnesses and I put together, this is what happened in the life of Jesus. But he didn't stop there because Jesus' people didn't stop there. Because of how Luke ends, we get a, a teaser to how his sequel is going to start. And so when we get into the book of Acts, all of a sudden we get a chance to see the, what took place in Luke actually exploded out this amazing thing that takes place in the book of Acts. And so Acts is basically what happens next. Because Jesus rose from the grave, this is what actually took place. And so the author, Luke, is writing to his buddy Theophilus again and letting him know this is what's going to happen in this account. He says this in chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Four, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is, again, one of the opportunities that we see the disciples having an adventure and missing the point. Verse six, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are are you at this time going to be restoring the kingdom to Israel? Have you ever noticed that sometimes you're having a great party and then someone goes political? This is the disciples doing that. Jesus is like, I've got this amazing great news. And they're like, oh, sweet, can we talk politics? And that's all of a sudden, all of a sudden that happens. He's like, seriously? You're you're worried about like the Romans? When I'm talking about kingdom, eternal stuff, and you're like still like worried about when is the power going to come back to Israelites? Verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
That, that passage is, is one of the most profound passages because it speaks into something that is so important. It's talking about mission, it's talking about who we are as Christians, and it ta- it's talking about deep, significant impact. And whenever I think of deep, significant impact, I think of this. This is a, uh, what, does anyone know what kind of car this is? A what? Yes! Oh man, last night, okay, Manuka people are so dumb. They had no idea. And so they're like, a CRV. I'm like, no! I don't know what the difference is, but it's not. And so a CRX, a Honda CRX, and a red Honda CRX, like, I don't know if you've ever been looking for one of these. I certainly wasn't looking for one of these when it hit me. But when I, on a fateful day when I was 14 years old, and it was a fall day, I'm a freshman in high school. That's a lot of, a lot of Fs there. But I was a freshman in high school, and I was, I was waiting for my mom to pick my buddy Victor and I up to go to church, to youth group. We were late for youth group. We hated being late for youth group. And so we're waiting for mom. Now, if you're like under 20, um, it was weird. Back in the, like the dark ages, we couldn't communicate. Like we had smoke, but nothing could, like, and so if your mom was late to pick you up, you could do nothing. You couldn't like text her. There was no texting. You couldn't life 360 her. You had no clue where she was. She, she could have been kidnapped by like terrorists. You had no idea. And so Victor and I are sitting there assuming terrorists and we're like, we got to get to youth group. We're going to be late. And so we did what any grown mature 14-year-old would do, and we got on our skateboards, and we started booking it to church. We're going as fast as we can, and I'm leading out. I'm in front of Victor, and I'm going as fast as I can, and we're on Carson Street, which is the busiest street in town. Four lanes. In fact, my second-born son is named Carson for this street. This street is a very significant street in my life, and so we're like, I'm about ready to cross over Carson, and it was in one of those crosswalks that had no, no street lights or walk or don't walk. It was basically go at your own risk, stupid. And so I was like, boom, ready for that. And so like, I pop my skateboard into the street, and I start like booking it across because I see a Mack truck coming on the other side. I'm like, I could totally smoke this Mack truck. I'm going. So I'm going as fast as I can, and I go through the first lane, the second lane, when I hear back on the curb, Victor, who did not get into the crosswalk, scream out to me, and all of a sudden, I just hear, and seriously, some people, they describe moments going slow motion. This was one of those slow motions. Victor's like, and I'm like doing this. I'm skateboarding. I'm like, and I just slow motion pan over to Victor, and his eyes are like, like that. And all of a sudden, I go, whoa. And I turn around. As I'm turning around, I hear the horn and the screech of brakes. And then, and then it was like, like I see red sky, red sky. I was like in a, in a tumbler. And what happened was it hits my legs and shoots my skateboard like 50 yards into a, a parking lot. My butt hits the hood, crumples in the hood. My back flies back and shatters the whole windshield. My body crumples up over on top. Victor said he thought I was dead instantly. The guy was going 45 when he hit me. And that's like more than five. I mean, it's fast. It's like, and so like all of a sudden, 45 miles comes to a complete stop and my little like 14-year-old body stops rolling and flies. Now, I've got my Bible in my hands because I'm a Christian and, and I'm going to youth group. And so like all of a sudden, it's like 45 miles of impact and then wee! And so I'm flying. There's not a whole lot of moments in my life where I've looked religious, but this was it. I'm flying with a Bible in my hand. And it's like flying through the air, and I hit the ground, and I slide on my back for 15 feet. And then I stand up. Now, that's the crazy part. People get hit by cars all the time. But I stood up. I stood up, and I look at what was unrecognizable because the car was totaled. I know! And so like, I'm looking at this. The guy gets out. He's freaked out. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He said other words, but I, it's church. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He's like, we got to get you to a hospital. We got to get you to a hospital. And I thought if we went to the hospital, 
one, well, this was the only thing. I was going to get sued. I was going to have to pay for that. And I, I'm like, my parents do not have the money to pay for what I just did to this guy's car. So I'm like, no, man, it's cool. Uh, I gotta, I'm looking for my skateboard. I can't find it anywhere. And I'm like, I, I got to get to church. I'm late for youth group. I see, Bible. And, and, like, and, I'm, and I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, no broken bones. It's like, no, man, you could like have internal bleeding. And I don't know, I didn't know what internal bleeding was, but it sounded like bleeding internally. And that sounded bad. And so I said, okay, well, are you going you gonna to drive me to the hospital? He says, no, my car's totaled. I got to wait for a tow truck. And I was like, oh, all right. So I ended up walking to the hospital because it was right a block away. So if you get hit by a car, do it in front of a hospital. So I walked right to the hospital. They x-ray me from head to toe, no broken bones, no sprains, no pulled muscles. The next day I had zero whiplash. The only thing I had was like glass that was still embedded in my back from the windshield that came out like a couple years later. I'm like, oh, that pinches. And it's like, that was it. And so it was amazing. And it was, it was one of those things where you go to school after something like that and they give you nicknames. Like up to this point, I was called like Errol McFayton because I passed out in health class. That was embarrassing. But finally, I got a new nickname, Evil Knievel. My, my teachers called me Evil Knievel, and I was so cool with that. At church, they spiritualized it, and they said, um, you must have guardian angels that are just, like, worn out. Like, you're, you're, they, you've got guardian angels all around you. And then they asked me something that you shouldn't ask a 14-year-old. Why do you think that God saved you? That's messed up. Why would you ask a 14-year-old? You could have died. Why do you think God did that? Why do you think he saved you? But it had the effect of actually causing me to think about that question. And the impact of that collision collided my life and caused not just the, the impact on a car or an impact on my body. It caused a collision of like, why, why did God save me? Why am I? Because, I mean, I could have asked that question five days before that. I didn't. It was the collision that caused that. Have you ever had something like that? Have you ever had a collision in your life? where all of a sudden you rethink life, you rethink how you process reality, whether it was like a divorce or it was a firing or your parents, something happened with your parents or something happened with a good friend or the disease kicked in and, and all of a sudden you have this collision where you're rethinking life as you know it and you're in particular thinking about what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I came that close or that was so life altering, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life? And for me, one of the, that was a defining moment in my life. Part of the reason Carson is Carson is because getting hit by that, that, the collision of that CRX caused me to realize I need to rethink how I live my life. I only have so many days. What am I going to do with those days? Today, let's just put it this way. See, life is short. Live on mission. You have no idea if just around the corner a CRX is coming for you. Life is short. Or a CRV. Life is short. Live on mission. And here's the thing. Those disciples that we just read about had a collision that was even more catastrophic than getting hit at 45 miles per hour by a CRX. Those disciples actually had this, this inner impact that caused them to rethink everything because they assumed Jesus was going to help them assume power. And Jesus said, no. In fact, your story is going to be about you losing power for my glory, losing rights for my glory, spreading news to people you hate right now for my glory. Everything was shifting around. And for him, it was like, look, life is short. I, you guys are are not guaranteed a good life. You're guaranteed possibly even a short life because of me, but life is short. Live on mission. Life is short. Live on mission. I was driving on the way over here. I was like speeding over here from Manuka. I was over in Manuka first and I came on over here and uh, I passed by this truck that had awesome calligraphy on the back of it and it said, it said um, not here for long, but here to have fun. Not here for long, but here to have fun. And I'm like, yep, 
that's pretty much what we all are about until we meet Jesus or until we reconnect with Jesus. And then we realize that life is short. Live on mission. There's so much better than fun. Fun is temporary, man. Mission, mission is eternal. Those disciples, they got a chance to hear Jesus say that he wasn't gonna be with them, but that they were gonna be living on mission. And then Jesus said something amazing. He gave them a strategy that's been in play for 2,000 years, and this is the strategy. He says to them, you will be my witnesses. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. All right, you know what a witness is? It's not an expert. He didn't say, you're gonna be my experts. You're gonna have every answer to every question that's ever happened. He doesn't say, you're going to be, when someone's like, dude, I'm an atheist, you're not, you're not going to be the person who has all the answers. He doesn't ask for that. He just says witnesses. Witness, all a witness is is someone who's honest. You, you tell what you know. Look, I don't know everything about faith. I don't know everything about Jesus, but I'll tell you what I know. Jesus is God. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave and he loves me and he loves you. That, I know that. I'll tell you that. And Jesus said, good, do that. Be a witness of that and start in Jerusalem, hometown. These are people who look like you, think like you. They're locals. You speak the same language. But don't stop there because this isn't just about having a sweet club in your hometown. Go to Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria are people who don't worship like you, don't have the same ethnic backdrop as you. This is cross-cultural. You can get really ethnocentric if you think it's all about your Jerusalem. It's not. Go to Judea and Samaria, but don't stop there. Keep on moving. Go everywhere else. Go to the all ends of the earth. We are here today because they took that seriously. You know what the, in Greek the original Greek, the ends of the earth is Grundy County. Who knew? But the truth is, is that we are here because that message kept on going out. If you want to simplify it, basically it's what Jesus is saying. I want you to be honest right where you're at. Be honest here in your hometown. Be honest in Morris. Be honest in Braidwood. Be honest in Dwight. Be honest in Manuka. Be honest here. But don't stop there. Continue being honest there. Like with people that are not like you, don't, don't, don't hoard it. Be honest here, be honest there, and then be honest over there too. Don't, keep, don't stop until everyone knows about Jesus. And for these disciples, the, what they had as a reality was that they took that seriously. As long as there was a minute, they had a mission. As long as they were, there were people, they had a purpose. And if you look, as you go through the book of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem and it keeps on going out until it gets to the epicenter of world influence and impact. And there's, different people are doing it and they're struggling with different things, different obstacles like poverty, persecution, prejudice, heresy, idolatry, imprisonment. They're blazing through that and they're like every obstacle they have, every every time that people rejected the, the, their message, every time people didn't show up for an event, they didn't stop, they just kept on blazing through. Because Jesus said, I want you to be honest, here, there, and over there too. And they kept on going. As long as they had a minute, they were on mission. As long as there was people, they still had a purpose. For 2,000 years of minutes, we've had mission, and Christians have lived that out. For 2,000 years of people, we've had Christians living on purpose. And today, we have even greater purpose than ever before. If you look just at, at the stats, since, I mean, just in the lifetime of a lot of our NBCers alone, like in the last 70 years, we went from like 2.5 billion people on earth to today. And we have like nearly 8 billion people. And it's the, the growth uh, pattern has slowed, but it's still millions and millions and millions of people being added to this earth who don't know Jesus. People who without Jesus will go to hell. People who, who need the hope and the answer I need God's people to be honest. Not experts, but honest. Here, there, and over there too. 
And one of the, cool, the thing at our church that we, we, we've taken that so seriously, we believe that God has put us on planet earth um, to, to do just that. There's a guy, one of the guys who planted our church. We had Dick Seavers, um, we had Vernon Johnson, and their first interim pastor was a guy named Harv Russell. And Harv's thing was this. This church, back then it was Manuka Bible Church, it, this church is going to be the type of place that takes seriously missions. God will bless a church if they take seriously Jesus' strategy of planting and spreading the word here, there, and over there too. And Harv's, like, some of you guys know Harv. You remember Harv back in the day. Um, he was someone who was so great. But it's, it's that legacy that we're still fleshing out now that we're Mission Manuka and Mission Morris. We believe in missions. And, we, and right now, we, we support five local missions. We support uh, nine regional and national missions. And we support 23 global missions because we believe in here, there, and over there too. And, and I want to just take you on a brief little tour around the world. Let's start in Nigeria. We, got, um, uh, we have Emma Harrington, who's now married to Sam, someone from our church who's actually doing this, this over there type ministry. And if you're someone at this church, if you're someone who's part of the lifeblood of this church, you're a giver at this church, you're supporting this ministry. Let's hear from Emma right now. Check it out. Hello, MVC. I'm Samuel Steven. I'm Emma Harrington. And this is our mission update. For about 15 years, the Islamic terror group Boko Haram has been attacking both Christians and Muslims in Nigeria. They target places of worship, farms, schools, and anything that contributes to economic development. Children suffer the most and are often left vulnerable without education or even food. Taking advantage of the poor masses, they recruit children as young as 9 years old to fight in their militant. Some of the child soldiers recruited have managed to escape to tell their stories. Most of their parents are either left in captivity or killed by the terrorist group. About 1.4 million children have been displaced, many of them living in conditions such as this one. ProCare's goal is to bring hope and stability to them. Earlier this year, we started fundraising to build them a house. Thankfully, the building is at its completion phase. We will adopt 16 boys and 16 girls displaced by Islamic terrorism. This way, we can be influential in training them through Christian education to understand love, peace, and tolerance. As Christians, we want to be instrumental bringing the gospel in an area which is predominantly Islamic, starting with children. The complex nature of the crisis requires indigenous people getting involved in bringing solutions. And that is why we are serious about the future of the children we are adopting. Pastors and school heads in the area are excited about this development and they are willing to work with the children in fulfilling this vision. We were able to connect with other Christian organizations to share in the burden of our mission with the goal of creating stable communities in affected regions. Our mission in the future also includes building schools, hospitals, and empowering women into small businesses to feed them and their loved ones. ProCare operates through partnership with hospitals in which several patients have benefited. We hope to enjoy a mutually beneficial relationship by involving religious, tribal, and community leaders in developing their societies.
the next time uh, you get a chance to see Sam and Emma, next time they stop and you got to talk to them. They're the coolest people. I remember growing up and I had a really, our church that, that I grew up in gave to missions, but I had no idea who missionaries were. I totally thought, honestly, I thought missionaries were just weirdos that couldn't live in the United States that just loved Jesus. And so you send them to someplace else so they could talk about Jesus over there. And it wasn't until I got to Moody. I mean, Reese goes to Moody. Um, when I got to Moody, all of a sudden I realized how cool it was to see actual like missionaries that were 18 years old, people that were going to be a missionary that was 18, normal people like me, people who played Nintendo, they're going to go to, to Zaire and tell people about Jesus. And I thought that was so awesome. And, it, and the thing is, is that as the more I've gotten to know people that God calls and missions, the more I realize it's not just this weirdo sect of people that God just, well, they don't really socially work out here. Let's put them over someplace else. It's people that hear what God wants them to do and have the guts to do it. And, it, and it's, it's people who are carpenters, people who are teachers, people who are coaches, people who are, are runners of camps, people who are people that um, are medical professionals, people who are accountants. We support people that are fighting um, sex trafficking globally. It's, it's like, it's amazing to see what God does for people who are just willing. And it's not just like people that like when you ask them and they're eight years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? That answer the question right. I want to be a missionary. I don't know how many kids actually say that. Very few, I think. Most of the people that I know that are on the field or in the field were not like kids that grew up with that perspective. Life is short, live on missions. And by that, I mean, live globally. Most people I know are people that, that are actually, they, they stepped into that because of the fact that God called them later on in life. Like just thinking about the people from our church that, with regard to Haiti, this is, these are people that didn't grow up with a, with a burden for global missions to be a witness over there. There were people who wanted to make an impact over there by giving, but that was it. But then all of a sudden, God intersected their timeline. I mean, just think about it. You've got Haley Pierce, who God intersected her timeline in her 20s. She, as somebody who's in her early 20s, when typically people would be doing college or just hanging out or like dating or, or bar hopping or whatever, Haley's actually chilling down in Haiti, living down there, and that God intersected her time in her 20s. My wife, Julie, she was 38 when all of a sudden she went uh, to on a, one, of, one of the mission Bible churches, um, uh, missions trips, short-term missions trips to Haiti. And that was a big deal. My wife was the type of person that did not want to leave the house, not because she was afraid of the outside, but because she, she didn't like the idea of going out of town and entrusting our four kids to me. But she's a woman of faith. And so she, and so all of a sudden, like this opportunity came up and I was blown away that she actually did it. She went to Haiti and all of a sudden, God, there was a collision in her life that changed her perspective. And from that moment on, all of a sudden, she has, she's, been, she's now our Haiti director to, to um, Haiti for, for Donshire Ministries. She's on staff. So my wife is a missionary, which is so cool. Um, Dave and Jenny Nelson, God intersected their timeline in their mid to late 40s. If you're in your mid to late 40s and you're just thinking about like your life and retirement and all that type of stuff, they were thinking the same thing. But all of a sudden, God intersected their life and now they're having impact on Haiti. We've got Sherry Fauci, who was not in her 40s, but in her 50s when God put it on her heart to start a school in Haiti. And then she got old enough to retire, so she did. But then she got bored with retirement. She went back, and now in her 70s, she's back doing another school. There is no age boundary or barrier to living on mission. These are people who fleshed it out. And the cool thing is, is that, again, God intersects your timeline at different points. We support in our church a family who um, started out like in, uh, the husband started off in law enforcement. And I think it was in his 30s that all of a sudden God used his passion and his desire to see indigenous people come to know Jesus as, as, as something where he said, okay, we're moving. We're going to go to Canada, and we're going to work with indigenous people there. Listen to this guy and his family's story. 
Hi, I'm Howard. I'm Yanni. I'm Tim. And I'm Charity. And our kids are Katie, Jesse, Maya, and Bo. To say hello in the Shushwap language, it's white, chachwaita, jawasquest, itzi, asakwepnchin, achhoward, asemachin. That's hello, everybody. And uh, my name in the Shushwap language is Deer, and uh, in the white man tongue, it's uh, Howard. Uh, Yanni and I used to be members of MBC back in the 1980s, and God called us uh, out of a career of uh, with law enforcement and sent us here in Western Canada and British Columbia. Uh, to give you a synopsis of uh, how things have been over 20 years of ministry, I'm going to refer to what Paul said in uh, to his letter to 1 Corinthians in chapter 16 where he said he's going to stay over in Ephesus because there was a great door of opportunity but there were still many who were opposed to the gospel. And that pretty well explains where we are as well. We have opportunities uh, to minister into lives, ministers to preach the gospel, uh, all kinds of opportunities, but there are also many who oppose the gospel uh, as the, the times of this age are getting uh, further. There's more even opposition. We do have a church that meets every Sunday, uh, a church that meets on the reservation. And we also have a prayer meeting every Wednesday as well. Every week we have uh, believers that are being taught and growing in God and growing in the word. So uh, thank you very much for your support, Yanni. So our ministry over the past 20 years has been uh, built on making relationships, trusting uh, a relationship of, of trust and mutual respect. Um, what our struggle has been is uh, overcoming the negative influences that the residential schools have had on uh, our First Nations friends uh, because of how Christ was misrepresented, uh, misrepresented and um, a lot of abuses had taken place. And so people had a very negative uh, view of what Christianity is like and so in these relationships we have the opportunity to show the loving Savior that he is and we do that by um, going to community events helping cook meals uh, sit with people at funerals and listen to their stories it's a lot more listening than speaking at times and so uh, we find that that has given us an opportunity to speak for Christ and to speak uh, words of love uh, into their lives and so that's what we've been doing and then uh, for myself I, I like to do a lot more camp-based ministry and youth ministry with charity as well uh, she does an amazing job with the, the girls groups and the women and it's been also really neat to see three generations proclaiming the same gospel, the same message, uh, sharing the same faith, uh, and them seeing uh, that same message uh, being shared and, and lived out in the communities as well. Yeah, I so enjoy the, the fact that when Howard and Yanni came 20 years ago, they just did such a beautiful job at representing Jesus. And I just fell in love more and more with 
who Jesus is and they did a lot of the legwork for us so that Tim and I and our kids could just come in and start serving where wherever God led. Like Yanni often says, it's a ministry of presence and just being there and being involved in people's lives with where they're at. Our First Nations community have taught us so much over the years. It's just been beautiful. I've uh, enjoyed Howard and Yanni's mentorship and counsel over the years as well with Tim and I and ministry and our kids and others from the reserve as well. Um, Tim just does a beautiful job at just um, meeting people with where they're at, wherever they're at in life and just plugging into the community wherever needed. And like one of the elders said, we hang out with people that we want to be like and that makes us feel good about presenting the gospel the way we are still to this day. And our kids, we just couldn't do it without them. Mm -hmm. They're such little light bearers on the reserve and we're just so grateful for them and for how much the res reservations and the people living on there have helped us raise our kids as well. So we just want to thank you so much for your guys' support, your love, your attention, your answers to our emails. We just couldn't do this without you guys and thank you for praying for us. One of the things I love so much about that is that um, it is true that in um, in a lot of countries, Christians have been have given Jesus a bad name. Our country too. But I mean, isn't it? You may have heard about recently in Canada just all the stuff that came up with how native uh, native indigenous people were totally like just awful things happened to them from some of the Christian schools in the area. And so I love it when we have people that are actually reflecting Jesus better. And I love the fact that like a lot of times when people like accept a call like that mid, uh, you know, in their life when they're raising kids, the question is, well, what, what about our kids? Like, is this super like cheating them out of life? Apparently not. I just love that. And I love like Howard, Howard was a cop. He still looks like a cop, doesn't he? I don't think you ever lose that. I mean, he's still like, I mean, he could pull me over. I mean, I would just totally think of that. that but the thing is that as Christians, what we try to do is, is, is we need to take what Jesus said seriously. And he didn't say just go and tell people. He said, make disciples. And what discipleship means is I'm training people to train people. If you're here at Mission Morris, you're here not just to be coming and consuming. You're here like, well, I'm part of this church. I want to find other people in our community and bring them in part of this church. Uh, if you're in a small group, that's awesome. That, you are a disciple, but a disciple disciple maker says, who's not in a small group? How can I get them in one of these real life groups? If you're someone who's serving, that's awesome. You're being a disciple, but a disciple maker is like, who do I know that's not serving and how do I help them join a serve team? And so discipleship is big. And as far as education, that's one of the things that we want to do or we're doing globally. We have the Mitchells who are discipling um, church leaders in Mexico. We have the Lunaus who are, are discipling church leaders in Indonesia. We have the Wilgens. Um, Reese, Reese's dad, Josh, and I, we got in a whole lot of trouble, almost got kicked out of Moody because we hung out with Eric Wilgen. And now he's one of our people that are raising up disciples in Africa, he and his family. It's amazing. It's so cool. And so God is doing this in bit by bit, and he's raising people up. And one of the things that is so important to us is the reality that we're called to do this in, in a way that's going to be reaching different people groups. Um, we have two separate missionaries that are specifically targeting the Jewish people. We have in Tel Aviv, Israel, we have uh, the Roses, and over in Munich, we have uh, Igor and, and Jan, and Igor and Vida, thank you. I Igor and Vida, who are, who are raising up people there. And we have two uh, missionaries that are specifically working with the Muslim communities as loving our, 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 our fellow human beings that, are, that happen to be Muslim and telling them the, the news of Jesus. And there's one other Muslim ministry that's in the works. 
And one of the things that we, we try to do as well is that we really try to hone in on how do we not just send people out there, but how do we find people who are nationals and raise them up as people that are ministering in their Jerusalem and they're here and wherever that here is, whether it's Nigeria or it's Indonesia or it's Mexico, whether it's, it's in the Sudan or it's in Jordan. We want to raise them up and, and help them because Americans going around the globe, that's good, but we have a language barrier and we have a cultural barrier. A lot of people in the, the, around the world, they do not trust Americans, but they will trust someone from their hometown. They will trust someone who speaks the language. Um, one of the people that we support, is, is her name is Noemi, and she is someone who is in El Salvador. And, and you, again, just you being mission is impacting. You may never go to El Salvador, but you are going to El Salvador with your impact. Listen to Noemi. Hi, Mission Church. My name is Noemi Climaco. But first, I want to talk to you about my parents, Jose and Etel Climaco. They are missionaries since I was four years old. We were in Peru, Dominican Republic, and the last years in Argentina. They always serve with youth, preparing them to become missionaries, pastors, leaders, and even to found new ministries in their countries. Praise God, they, were, they had the privilege to serve the last four years in Argentina, preparing new youth to become pastors in different uh, areas of this country. As well, they were mentoring new pastors on different communities, and they planted around 13 churches, and you were part of it. God allowed them to, be, to reach different communities and also prepare a lot of leaders to reach their, uh, their people and also to connect with them, with their culture, and as well um, plant the kingdom of God in their hearts and impact the new generations. That's one of the things that impacted my heart since I was a kid and impulsed me to become a missionary as well. So I was serving in Argentina, but with children's discipleship on the uh, national staff. I was part of it and God allowed me to travel along the whole country and we got to um, train new teachers for this discipleship for children and um, 17 uh, states of Argentina. They are 23, so it's the halfway already. Now the ministry is running with national leaders and they are reaching more kids and teenagers to become um, this generation who is challenged to, be, to serve God and as well to impact their generation, but no allowing to follow the, the, the influence of this uh, Pressions of the world, but allowing God to impact their hearts and to impulse them to talk about the God's love to other people. And praise God, um, I was invited as well to serve in the city of Wapato in Washington State. So I'm going to do an exploration trip since October 1st of, the, of this year. I'm going to be working in a local church who works with a huge of Hispanic community and also with Native Americans. So I, I want to ask you prayers for our family. My parents are now itinerating in El Salvador and they're expecting to hear God's voice, to, to see what's the next project to come and they're already preparing for that challenge that they will receive and they want to 
continue to serve God with all the experience they got already. And as well, I want to uh, experience what God has in store for me in this new chapter of serving in the United States for three months. So I want you to join us on prayers and thank you already for your offering during all these years because you are part of all the victories we have received and for the glory of God. Thank you so much for being part of this and God bless you. Awesome. Okay, so here's the thing. We just went around the world. We went to Nigeria. We've gone to El Salvador. We've had the opportunity uh, to be up in Canada. And you may be someone who you've never really left Illinois all that much, um, or you may be someone who you've traveled around the States, but that's about it. But you may have thought of yourself as someone who's not someone of significant impact. And that may be the case, unless you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, I can promise you right now, you've been given a calling that calls you to step into this in a big way. And that, and that is one of the things I love. If you're someone that God is, is, is starting to beat a drum for possibly participating in either um, regional ministry, national ministry, or global ministry, talk with us. Talk to Mike. We are people that, one of the things I love is in, in the nearly 40 people that we support as missionaries, how many people grew up going to this church, grew up going to Spy Kids, and now are on the field. And if that's you, whether you're in your teens or your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, let's go all the way up to Sherry Fauci, age 70s, and God is calling you to do something, we want to make sure that we fast track you and give you the opportunity to do that. But we also believe in short-term missions. We're going to Haiti in January, and we'd, I'd love to see some Mission Morris people in Haiti on that team. I believe in July, I think we're going to Guatemala. Is that correct? And and one of the the reason that we do these is not because we, a lot of a lot of people um, have been throwing rocks at short term missions for good reasons. A lot of people just do this weird drive by where they go into another country and they talk to people that are are poorer than them or in a different context than them. They take pictures and they buy some souvenirs and come home and feel better about themselves, like they were missionaries or something. That's not how we roll at mission. We believe in long-term relationships with people. We come alongside the church that is active in these countries and we come alongside them to encourage them, to help resource them as our brothers and sisters who are doing great work down there. And then we come back different. We come back changed. We want everyone who goes on a short-term mission church to either be a more prone to go and be a missionary themselves or more prone to give, be a more intelligent giver Recognize that when I give on a week, weekly basis, what I'm doing is I'm impacting the world. I'm impacting these people. And so that's something that, that we, we so believe in. We, so I would just challenge you, be one of the people that jump, talk to Mike. He'll hook you up. Mike, can you just raise your hand? He'll hook you up with, with any information you need on any of that, okay? And he'll, he'll be here every week. Also, we have these Endeavor projects because, again, we believe that our primary mission is here. Our primary mission is in Morris, is in the Grundy County area, is in this, this overall area where you can actually be someone who is sharing your you could be a witness for Jesus right here. So when you see Endeavor events come across the radar and the announcements, jump on those and get plugged in and give. I mean, this is the, I don't ever have a problem talking to people, encouraging people to give when it comes to this, because what we believe is that, again, God wants us to be people that are taking care of the Jerusalem for us, but we, we want to follow the legacy of Harv Russell and at least give 10%. We try to give more than 10% to missions every year. And so right now we have about $188,000 that are going away from us. They're not going into Manuka or Morris. They're going outside because we want to take that calling of Jesus seriously to make sure that those that are there and out there are actually having the facilities and the resources to flesh this out. 
Dave, uh, my father-in-law, he, he's a big fan of missions. He always has been. In fact, he, every time that the missions budget comes in, it comes in way too high because Dave and Mike are on it. Um, and the, the deacons are always like, oh, guys, seriously. They're like, yep. And so as long as Dave and Mike are on the board, or on the, the missions team, it's going to continue to be that. But Dave always would say this, you should always, you should be ready to go unless the Lord says no. As far as missions, you should be ready to go unless the Lord says no. But he changed that. He says this. He says, pray, give, or go because the Lord says so. Be that type of person who's going because, because you're going to be praying for our missionaries. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for our, mission, our missionaries. Give in, in, because you know that you're giving globally and be ready to go if God calls you on that. Folks, life is short. Live on mission. And here's the thing. You're someone who's making a global impact, but God has called you to the Jerusalem. And you know why we want you to work and serve in Morris and Braidwood and Wilmington and Dwight and Manuka? The reason we want you to do that is because you're locals. You know the language. You know the culture. You're the best missionaries for this community. Step into your calling. Step into it now. Life is short. You only have a handful of minutes left, but if you've got minutes... You got mission. And as long as there's people, there's what? There's purpose. All right, let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up and thank you for the fact that you called people to share the good news that ultimately got to other people, that ultimately got to other people, that ultimately made its way into our heart at some point. And I thank you that this church right here in Morris is a reflection of that. Lord, I thank you for all the people here who are called by you. I pray that you give us the passion and the courage to be able to go out and flesh us out in your name and for your glory. And we'll give you the thanks for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, mission, let's go live it out.